0: This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now here is your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. I'm delighted today to have Amy Berger with me. She is a US Air Force veteran and certified nutrition specialist who specializes in low carb and ketogenic diets. Her motto is keto without the crazy. Love that clearing up the confusion and making keto straightforward and simple to stick to. She blogs at www.tuitnutrition.com, where she writes about weight loss, metabolism, diabetes, thyroid function, and more. She has presented internationally on these topics and is the author of the Alzheimer's antidote using a low carb, high fat diet to fight Alzheimer's disease, memory loss, and cognitive decline. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me.
0: Now, I know that ketogenic diets for so many people are profoundly transformational. And I feel like a lot of the women that are in my programs, you know, they're they're north of 35, they're stuck. And so my sense when they come to me is they've tried keto, but they haven't necessarily done it the right way. And, and what I love about your approach is to really keep things simple, which is a lot, a lot of what I say to my people. Um, so let's kind of deep dive into how can we keep keto simple? Because I think for so many people, they're overthinking every decision that they're making. It's almost paralyzing for them.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's, um, that's absolutely right. I've, I've joked. It's not really a joke though. When I get an email from a prospective client and they, you know, tell me what's going on. I, I can feel the anxiety radiating out of the screen, coming at me like it's palpable, I can touch it. It's they're so worried and so afraid of, of making a misstep or doing something wrong or that they think is wrong. And um, the, the, the fact is that this way of eating meaning keto or ketogenic diet is very, very simple. And yes, there may be situations where people need to tweak little things for their own particular circumstances, but the, the number one thing about keto is keeping your carbs really low. That is responsible for the vast majority of benefits somebody's going to get from this way of eating, because that is what brings the blood sugar down. It's what brings people's insulin levels down. And those two things, lower blood sugar and lower insulin are again, responsible for the majority of the benefits that anyone's getting. All the stuff, the fasting, the omega-6, like like balancing omega-6 and omega-3 or, higher ketone levels or this or that is all secondary. And it's, it's mm-hmm. not unimportant, but it's less important than the single biggest thing, the, the, the biggest bang for your buck, which is just keeping carbs low.
0: And I think that's a really important distinction is that, you know, that's the first tier of things to really focus on. And so when you define a ketogenic lifestyle, and the reason why I'm, I'm asking this question is that I think the statistic I read was the average American consumes at a minimum, 200 to 300 carbs per day. And that's probably inclusive of food and sugary crap that people drink. And so how do you define low carb or ketogenic diets in terms of net carbs? Because there seems to be some confusion. And I, and I say this with great reverence and respect. I myself as a clinician still feel like I don't always have that answer because it seems like there's some gray areas.
1: Yeah, there there are gray areas because it's not really formally defined anywhere. Um, Depending on who you ask, you'll get different answers. If you're in ketosis, you're probably on a ketogenic diet. I mean, like, because the thing is the key, the ketogenic threshold, meaning the amount of carbohydrate that any one person can consume and still actually be in ketosis differs. Some people need to be very strict. They need to be like 20 total grams of carbs a day or less. Some people can have 50, 60, 80 grams of carbs and still be in ketosis. Um, For other people, upwards of 80 is more just like a low-carb diet. Mm -hmm. There are one or two published papers that give definitions for this, but nobody really uses them. Mm -hmm. Um, Some, I think in that paper, I want to say they defined keto as less than 50 grams of carbs a day. It might have been less than 20. I know less than 20 is Dr. Eric Westman's approach. Um, I think that was also the Atkins induction way Mm -hmm. of the, the first couple of weeks of the Atkins diet. Um, I, I don't really use numbers to define, but if I had to, for me, just like as a ballpark mm-hmm. under a hundred grams of carbs a day is a low carb diet. You might not be ketogenic, but that's certainly low carb. And then for me, probably under, under 40, I would say is ketogenic, but if you are one of the people that is really sensitive to carbs and and in order for you to be in ketosis, 40 might be too much. You might need to be under 30 or under 20. So it's really, it's undefined, but that's actually okay because not everybody needs keto Mm -hmm. as much as I love it, as much as you love it. It's so effective. Not everybody needs to be quite that strict with the carb intake, you know, so people can do what like before keto was as popular as it is now so many people were doing great just on paleo mm-hmm. which and paleo is not low carb by definition you can still have fruit you can have mm-hmm. potatoes beets parsnips most people eat less carbohydrate on paleo than they were eating before mm-hmm. but they're not like low carb you
0: mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah and i think that distinction and one of the things that i value about your voice on social media is that you are very transparent and you know you are not someone that's so polarizing. You know, there are some people that are very, you know, I always describe it as there's people who are so militant about their, their focus and their dogma that they don't recognize that there's so many other variables that come into play when we're trying to find a nutritional paradigm that works for us in our bodies. And, and like I tell my own clients, what works for me may not work for you. And what works for you now may not work a year and a half from now. And so that's why that conversation is so important to be having so that people can hear then and get that validation. Because I think when we're rigid about dogma or nutritional perspectives, we lose sight of what's most important, you know, honoring our bodies and honoring yeah. what works for our bodies.
1: Yeah. And and people are, I don't know, they're they're just being made afraid of like, I'm not allowed to have so-and-so because such and such person said, mm-hmm. or like, this is not... It's just not, you You do have to find what works for you. And there's a basic ballpark to start from. And then once you've mastered that, you kind of go along. Like I, 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 I compare it to learning a musical instrument because I, I, I play the clarinet and saxophone, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, when you're brand new, when you're like in fourth grade and you're just learning how to play, you don't wonder about what you're going to wear to your recital at Carnegie Hall. Right. You don't wonder about all these advanced techniques. What you start with is like, how do I even hold this thing properly mm-hmm. in my hands? How do I put the mouthpiece in correctly? Mm-hmm. Like start with the basics. You don't need to worry about all this craziness. Yeah. And um, people, it's called paralysis by analysis, right? Yes. They're so overwhelmed by the details and the minutiae. And they're so concerned about getting everything perfect and getting it right that it paralyzes them from even getting started.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it's... um. I don't envy people that are new to this now because I've been eating this way for over 15 years. And I'm I'm not always ketogenic, I'm always low carb, I'm not always intensely strict keto. But when I was new to this, exogenous ketones didn't exist, Mm -hmm. MCT oil, if it existed, you had to be like in a study to get you couldn't buy it at the store, (laughs) you couldn't measure your ketones at home, they didn't have, you know, home ketone meters. Just none of this existed. You just kept your carbs really low and most people did perfectly fine.
0: Yeah. Well, and I I think that that goes to show, I mean, between social media, there's just so much more information that's available and there are a lot of well-meaning people that I think try to share their experiences, their n of one and say, this is applicable to everyone but I think that's ultimately detrimental. We all have to be our own experiment to figure out what works best, but um, kind of like getting back to what you're saying. So when you're first starting off with keto, you know the A number one focus is on keeping your carbs low so that you keep your insulin low. And then what is the next layer for your approach for introducing someone to ketogenic diets? So it depends on
1: what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. You know, when somebody writes to me, hey, I'm looking for help with keto, if, if sometimes that's all they say, and like, okay, you know, tell me a little more, right. depending on what somebody's goals are, you know, some people are trying to lose body fat, mm-hmm. some people um, have PCOS, mm-hmm. some people it's migraines, it could be acne, you know, any number of things mm-hmm. get better with keto. So it really depends on what somebody's trying to do. Okay. Um, and yeah, there's, there's no real, I I can't give you a, a direct answer. It it depends on what the person is trying to accomplish.
0: Um, now I would and, say, and, the av- sorry, yeah, go ahead. no, so the, so the average listener is probably most concerned about the weight loss, fat loss piece. So let's, right. let's focus on that. I think that would be super helpful for them. Yeah. So most of my time with clients is
1: spent myth busting and debunking, <laughs> crazy nonsense mm-hmm. or not not crazy nonsense let's just say misleading things mm-hmm. that they may have heard on social media mm-hmm. um, because I, you know i i have this ebook out called the stall slayer people stallslayer.com <laughs> and it's about breaking fat loss stalls on mm-hmm. keto or low carb which is the number one reason people contact me for help mm-hmm. and so most of what i do is set the record straight because the the biggest mistake i see is that People have been told in, in doing what they think they're supposed mm-hmm. to do, because this is what they've heard and read on the internet. People are chasing these macros. Well, I'm supposed to have 80% fat, or what's my I haven't hit my fat macro mm-hmm. for the day. And again, what makes a diet ketogenic is the absence of the carbohydrate, not the presence of gobs and gobs of fat. So I see people going out of their way to add fat to things, putting Mm -hmm. butter in the coffee, drowning everything in oil, Mm -hmm. and they wonder why they're not losing. And and the thing is though, that will keep you in ketosis because as long as your carbs are really low, you will be in ketosis. You will not lose body fat though because Mm -hmm. if you are overdoing the dietary fats and oils Mm -hmm. and creams and all that, your body has no reason to tap into all the stored fat that you're trying to burn. And I have to be really clear when I tell people, because I'm not trying to make people afraid of fat. This is still a high fat diet. But remember, some of that fat is coming from your body. Mm -hmm. It doesn't all have to be on your plate. And I see um, people that are deliberately adding more fat, even if they're not hungry, but they just Mm -hmm. think I'm supposed to have X grams of fat or I'm supposed to have X percentage. So they'll add fat when... The no, I mean, the number one rule of any diet should be eat when you're hungry mm. and when, when you're not hungry, don't force yourself to eat. Right. And, and that applies to keto too. You know, keto, just because you're in ketosis doesn't mean you'll lose weight. I've, I've mentioned on other interviews, I've gained body fat in ketosis because <laughs> I have a little mayonnaise problem. I'm not allowed to keep mayonnaise in my house because my serving of mayonnaise is not one tablespoon, like it right. says on the label. Mm-hmm. My serving is half a jar. Mm-hmm. And so if I am having a little mayonnaise party, my my <laughs> ketones will be very high. But if you think I'm losing body fat, mainlining mayonnaise, you know, think again. So that's probably go- going hand in hand when I said mm-hmm. like the biggest mistake. It's chasing the fat, but mm-hmm. it's also thinking that... Higher ketones are going to make you lose more weight or make you lose weight faster, and that's just absolutely untrue. You can lose plenty of weight hardly being in ketosis at all. Mm-hmm. You know, with ketone level 0.1, 0.2, you don't have to be producing high ketones to lose fat.
0: What do you think about the ketone meters?
1: Oh, so <laughs> again, it depends on what somebody's trying to do for mm-hmm. most people not only are they completely unnecessary, Mm -hmm. they can actually be psychologically harmful Mm -hmm. because you'll do all the right things. Your your diet is on point, you're exercising, you're sleeping, everything's great. And your ketones are quote unquote only 0.2. And instead of celebrating the fact that you're doing all this great stuff for yourself, you're going to feel like a failure and you're going to feel like you're doing something wrong because your ketones are low. So it, I, I feel the same way about glucose meters. Mm-hmm. I think they can be they can be helpful for troubleshooting. Like if something's not going right, mm-hmm. make, see where you are. Are your ketones low? Are they high? Whatever. Or your, your blood glucose I generally discourage measuring because people have no appreciation for the nuance and for Mm. context and for all the different biochemical mechanisms that regulate these numbers. So I'm not opposed to testing, but I am opposed to testing if you don't understand how to interpret the number that you see. And that's true for most people.
0: And I think that's a really important distinction because I, I by no means am I am I a keto expert. I'm a low carb, aficionado and I really am into intermittent fasting, but I get a lot of questions on social media about ketone meters and how depressed people get because they're not hitting those numbers. And I said, what do you think about just stopping testing? Oh no, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. Like, why don't you intuitively listen to what your body's telling you? Are you sleeping well? How's your energy? How do you feel? Like I know for myself personally, I probably have more protein than anything else, but if I eat too much healthy fats, I get I just don't feel good. I get nauseous. And so trying to explain to people, there are all these kind of nuances and subtleties to all of these things. Uh, But I gotten so many questions recently about ketone meters that I was like, I'm going to ask Amy what she thinks. And I'm not at all surprised.
1: I don't recommend them. And um,
0: they're expensive.
1: Like the meters isn't expensive, but the test chips, I can't afford to test ketones. I do. I do check urine ketones now and Mm -hmm. then, but the blood, I can't afford to test blood ketones. And guess what? I don't have to. Mm-hmm. You don't have you don't have to know what your ketone level is. I have a friend um, who's lost about two hundred and fifty pounds, wow. and his ketone level was never above like zero point five. He never sees these high ketones, and it didn't stop him from losing a full person's worth of weight.
0: This is a huge takeaway for anyone that's listening right now. You do not need to have these meters in order to be successful. I think that right. is really, really important. Yeah. So let's pivot. You know, a save bit. your
1: money, save your money for good yeah. quality food. Buy, right. buy right. food with that money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I would assume we're very aligned about your nutrient dense, dense diet focus. And so what's the typical day look like for you when you, and I don't know if you practice intermittent fasting on occasion or if that's something you just do on a daily basis, but what is a typical day look like for you when you're putting your meals together? Because that was one of the questions. When I asked my, my groups, I was like, I'm, I'm interviewing this keto expert. And they were like, what does she eat? And I was like, I will ask her. Yeah.
1: So, um, I'll tell you what I eat, but of course, what I eat mm-hmm. has no bearing on what anyone else should eat. That's the thing. Like, this is for me. This right, is what works one. for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, intermittent fasting, we could maybe talk about fasting specifically in a bit. I wouldn't say that I deliberately do any time restriction, mm-hmm. but I do, um, I'm a coffee junkie. So good or bad, <laughs> whatever people's thoughts are on coffee, like, listen, you know, um, I, I have generally two cups of coffee in the morning. I do mm-hmm. use um, sometimes heavy cream, sometimes half and half, whatever's mm-hmm. handy. I use sweetener. I use Stevia sometimes. Shh. I do use Splenda. <laughs> I use Sweet and Low. People can just kick me out of the club. I don't really care. Um, I, I've been using that stuff for over 20 years. I think it it helps me stick to this long term. Mm-hmm. So I generally don't have breakfast because I'm just not hungry. Or if I have breakfast, it's my first meal of the day. It just happens right. later in the day. Right. Um, I'm just usually not hungry in the morning. So I do try... I don't look at the clock. I don't necessarily wait until a specific time to eat, but I try to push my first meal until I'm genuinely very hungry. Mm -hmm. Like I don't just snack at the first sign of a hunger Mm -hmm. pang. I'll wait, you know, I'm hungry, but I'm not starving. Like I could wait an hour, I could wait two hours. Mm -hmm. When I get to the point where I'm actually really hungry and I don't want a little pick at stuff, I want a meal, Mm -hmm. I sit down to a meal. And it could be anything, whatever's handy. I could cook. I do eat a lot of hard boiled eggs Mm -hmm. or I should say soft boiled. I like, I like the white set, but the the yolk still kind of runny. And I have like this machine that cooks them perfectly every time like that. So I do a lot of eggs. Um, I eat a lot of canned sardines, Mm -hmm. but I'll have, and this people freak out over what you eat at certain times of day. I'll have leftovers for my first meal or breakfast. I'll Mm -hmm. have a cold burger patty, a cold piece of chicken, a cold pork chop. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can heat it up if you want. I just don't mind eating cold food. Mm I'm not a (laughs) carnivore. I do eat vegetables. Um, I would say I eat a lot less vegetables than I used to, but I still eat them. So I do like I do a lot of broccoli, Brussels sprouts, um, mushrooms trying to zucchini, cucumbers, you know, low, very low carb vegetables. Um, I, I say I, I generally probably have two meals a day, two meals. And then, you know,
0: I, Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise. So you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, WP for $30 off plus one month of free nutritionist support. Be sure to let them know you're a listener of the Everyday Wellness Podcast when they ask you how you heard about them. This is one of my favorite ways to take care of my health and one of my top recommendations for all of my patients and clients. Do you find yourself struggling to get a good night's sleep? If so, you may be dealing with a hidden mineral deficiency. It is not at all uncommon in perimenopause and menopause to deal with sleep
1: I snack, I guess, if you consider like, if I do get hungry, but I just don't want to have my meal yet, I'll have one hard boiled egg, or I'll have an ounce or two of cheese. Um, It's it's very sporadic. I don't have like every day at two o'clock, I eat such and such every day at four, I eat such and such. It's very ragtag. But I mean, one, one tip I can offer is there's always something in my fridge cooked and ready to go. If I cook and I love cooking, but I don't always cook every day. And I live alone. I'm one person. I never cook just one meal's worth for one person. Mm -hmm. I'm one person. That doesn't mean I can't buy a five pound roast and put it in the slow cooker and eat it for the next three or four days. You know, um, I don't I don't cook one hard boiled egg at a time. I'll boil a dozen. Mm -hmm. You keep them in the fridge. They don't go bad. I think that makes this much easier to stick to. Um, just, just when there's something ready to go, you might not be in the mood for what you have, but at least there's the option. So you don't reach for like a bread or a bagel by default. Cause nothing else was handy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And meal prep is so critical. I tell people all the time, it's not sexy, but it works. And that's, you know, for me, I, I have a house where I have two teenage boys now who eat everything that isn't nailed down. And and so I have to meal prep. Otherwise I won't have food because what I might think I may eat for lunch When I break my fast might have been eaten by one of my kids when they woke up in the morning. So that's, that's kind of the challenge I deal with. We've had to sequester certain things in the refrigerator, like, please don't eat this without talking to me first. Otherwise I'm not going to have anything to eat. And as you said, we don't make good decisions when we're starving and there are no options. That's when we reach for you know, for me, it's like I, I, for years of working in the hospital and I got very accustomed to have always having a protein bar, which disgusts me now, always having a protein bar with me. Cause if I got stuck and couldn't eat, at least I had something. Mm-hmm. And so my default mechanism sometimes always goes back to that behavior. And I'm like, I don't even like protein bars all that much. Yeah. It's not even something I really enjoy. But uh, I, I would
1: say just to kind of clarify, not clarify, but just maybe offer another tip for people. It's meal prep and meals doesn't have to be complicated like mm-hmm. like a low carb meal or a keto meal is some type of meat and when i say meat i mean really mm-hmm. any animal protein it could be poultry it could be fish mm-hmm. it could be pork you know some type of animal flesh mm-hmm. for lack of a better word or eggs or something and a vegetable if you eat vegetables some people are doing carnivore but mm-hmm. It, you don't have to plan three days ahead. Well, what am I having for lunch on Thursday afternoon? I'll have four ounces of this and three ounces of zucchini. Mm-hmm. If you just keep a wide variety of stuff on hand and cooked, you can literally put anything on your plate in like 30 seconds and you have a meal. You know, it might not be the gourmet meal. It might not be something out of one of these fancy keto cookbooks. But like I said, put put a big pork line or a big beef roast in, an, in an, you know a, a pressure cooker or a slow cooker or just get, you know, everyone's down on chicken breast. There's nothing wrong with chicken breast. You can still have it on keto cook. If you're gonna grill a chicken breast, grill a chicken breast, keep them in the fridge. You can eat one cold, cut it up into strips, dip it in guacamole, dip it in blue cheese dressing or something, or, or heat it up in a stir fry with vegetables or something. But it, it's not rocket science. You need, you need a fatty protein and you need vegetables if you eat vegetables and you're good to go.
0: And I think that, you know, it, it's reassuring to hear that you are keeping it simple, which is kind of my mindset and my philosophy so that you have success, you know, so that you're not overthinking it. So you're not feeling like you've got to pull at every cookbook. You've got to buy every cookbook that's out there in order to make this successful. So, you know, you mentioned your book, which obviously will be of tremendous interest uh, to my listeners for sure, but let's pivot a little bit and talk about, you know, I know what you're really, another thing that you're really known for is this Alzheimer's. Um, disease and type three diabetes, which for anyone that listens to me knows that it's something I talk about with some, um, you know, some frequency and especially for women as they're transitioning from, you know, cycling every month to perimenopause to menopause. We have less circulating estrogen, which makes us much more susceptible to developing type three diabetes. So how does a ketogenic diet, how does that benefit someone that is concerned about their cognitive functioning, especially if they're making this transition in their life? Or what are some of the benefits uh, for brain function?
1: Right? Well, so, you know, we are learning more and more about the the chronically high blood sugar and chronically high insulin. Those two issues, basically impact every single organ or tissue or gland in the body that you could name. You name an organ or a cell or a tissue and and chronically high blood sugar and insulin is bad news for it. Mm -hmm. Why do we think that the brain would be any different? Why do we think that the brain is spared when the eyes get damaged, the kidneys, the liver, the nerves, the ovaries, the skin, the heart, the blood vessels, you name the thing in the body, it's a mess from chronic high blood sugar and insulin. So um, the brain is not spared. And hence, you know, type three diabetes or diabetes of the brain is what they call Alzheimer's now. And where that comes from is the primary thing malfunctioning in the brain of somebody with Alzheimer's is that the neurons are no longer metabolizing glucose properly. They are not able to convert glucose into energy. So it's basically a fuel crisis in the brain and the brain is effectively starving to death. And one of the most encouraging heartening things about the research being done now is that even though the cells are not properly breaking down glucose they can still take up and use ketones Mm -hmm. and you know that that is not to say that keto was like a miracle cure by any stretch of the imagination but if somebody is looking to protect brain health over the long term and cognitive function I wish I could promise that a low-carb or keto diet would like prevent Alzheimer's. I can't mm-hmm. say that we don't we don't know that yet, and and people sometimes ask me, you know, do do I have to do keto to prevent Alzheimer's? I think what you probably do have to do to prevent this or potentially prevent to give yourself mm-hmm. the best chance of maybe reducing risk for this this cognitive decline. Is keep your blood sugar and insulin Mm -hmm. within a healthy level. And of course, make sure you're getting enough B12, iron, vitamin A, Mm -hmm. you know, brain, healthy brain function doesn't happen in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. we need a lot of different nutrients, a B12 deficiency alone, Mm -hmm. even even in the absence of all this glucose insulin stuff, if you're low in B12, you can have cognitive problems. Mm -hmm. So I think over the long term, as you age, what you want to do is again, keep that blood sugar and insulin in a healthy range, make sure you're getting all the nutrients you need. Not everybody requires a very low carb diet to do that. If you can do more of like a paleo diet, or more of even just a a healthy overall diet, you know, look at all around the world, we have people that eat bread that eat different things that are healthy. So I think there's a lot of ways to accomplish that. But I think maintaining that for lack of a better word, we say metabolic health, when your Mm -hmm. blood sugar and insulin are Mm well-regulated and all that. And I think that's probably the most important thing you can do for your brain health.
0: And I I think it's, it's something that, you know, as I'm now middle-aged, I think a whole lot more about than I ever did before, you know, first as a clinician, because I had plenty of patients in, in cardiology that were dealing with vascular issues. And certainly, you know, if they're having a decreased perfusion of the brain, that alone can impact their their cognitive functioning. But then the more we're learning about, um, you know, diabetes of the brain or Alzheimer's or type three diabetes, it just makes you think a bit more thoughtfully about your own diet. And, you know, what are your takes on, you know, the processed food industry and how that is so adversely impacted, um, you know, our health and, and wellness? I mean, I, I was born in the 70s, grew up in the 80s and had an Italian mother that, didn't allow me to snack and made me play outside all day long. And there was, you know, my mom was weird in in that I was eating organ meats as a child and, you know, my mom was baking bread and, you know, that was probably not the normal experience for most kids at that time. But I realize now how grateful I am to have had those opportunities and how far away we've come from, you know, a less processed kind of diet. So for those of us that have become a bit more enlightened and, and feel a whole lot better eating less processed. What do you think about the processed food industry and its impact on all of us?
1: Yeah, oh, wow. You and I, it sounds like we were probably born around the same time, but very different upbringings. Um, <laughs> my parents owned an ice cream and candy store when I was little. I was literally a kid in a candy store and it showed. And I was not an active kid. My favorite thing to do then, and it still is now, is to sit on a comfy couch and read a book Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm more active now. I exercise now, but it's, sure. it's still not my like nature to just be like rambunctious and moving mm-hmm. all the time. And, um, I grew up in a Jewish household. My mm-hmm. mom was a great cook, but as she did, she cooked liver and onions as like a big Jewish specialist. I, if you think I ever touched the liver and onions, I did not. But to, to your point about the processed food, I, um, I think I did a video about this not long ago. I actually don't like the phrase processed food mm-hmm. because it's totally undefined. And I I think there are some foods that we would consider processed foods that can actually be helpful mm-hmm. in somebody sticking to a low-carb or ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. Now, in an ideal world, we'd all be cooking everything at home from scratch using whole food ingredients. You know, that's not going to work for everybody. It's mm-hmm. not going to be realistic, and we shouldn't demonize the products that might be helpful. And I, mm-hmm. I think in term processed foods, if you were like, like a few decades ago, there was this congressional committee that was trying to like define pornography. Mm-hmm. And one of the senators said something like, well, I know it when I see it. And it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, he didn't mean to intend that pun, right. but the processed food, we could kind of say the same thing. Like, like as an example, you know, a sh- like a strawberry frosted toaster pastry, a mm, a that's Cheeto. probably a processed mm-hmm. food, yep. but you know, MCT oil is a processed food coconut oil is a processed food um, avocado oil salad dressing is a processed food beef jerky is a processed food but some of these things can make keto easier to stick to
0: mm-hmm.
1: and so I have a friend who said something like I don't care how processed the food is I care about the metabolic effects and so I'm kind of in that camp but I it just really depends on how we define processed food you know um if if you're in a pinch and you're on the road and you don't feel like fasting, you're just really mm-hmm. hungry, you want to run into a gas station convenience store and get something, better for you to get if you can find a low-sugar beef jerky or mm-hmm. a thing of string cheese. Is it is it raw milk cheese, A2 casein, blah, blah, blah? No. <laughs> is it going to be better than grabbing that sugar-frosted mm-hmm. toaster pastry? Yeah. So I think it's it's all along a spectrum, too, and I don't want to – I just don't want to demonize certain foods that that I think can be helpful. But but definitely people rely, even in keto, look at how many processed foods are being advertised as keto now. Hey, it's keto because it has, you know, avocado oil in it or something, mm-hmm. or because it has erythritol and coconut oil. So it's keto, mm-hmm. And but this kind of stuff can interfere with fat loss or interfere with some of the other effects of keto, because just because it's high in fat and low in carbs doesn't mean it's going to work for you.
0: Mm-hmm. you know? I think that's an important distinction. I, I think I, what I usually say is good, better, best, meaning, yeah. you know, when you're out and you, you know, the option is to eat crap and garbage or to grab beef jerky or string cheese. I'm like, I'm all for the beef jerky and the string cheese. Oh, yeah. I think I was talking more in the context of, um, you know, things like Twinkies and the real crap. Yeah, well, right. I think, exactly. I think
1: part of that comes to like you were saying the way you were brought up. Mm-hmm. Cooking is a lost art these it days. Really is. And whether whether it's the husband or the wife, the man or the woman, everybody can cook. And I think it's because maybe like if I and I have friends that write cookbooks, like mm-hmm. I love to flip through cookbooks, I get ideas. But I very rarely actually make any of the recipes. Mm-hmm. I'll look at them. It's like a hobby. I like flipping through them. But if you take the mystique out of cooking it again, you just say, get a chicken, stick it in the oven for an hour and forget about it. Like right. that's cooking. Right. Get, you know, get, like, I I have one of those big Pyrex glass mm-hmm. glass dishes. I'll put three or four pork chops in it. Maybe even throw some zucchini and onions mm-hmm. chopped up in the, in one pan. One Drizzle pan of olive oil, throw whatever seasoning you like, stick it in the oven 30 or 40 minutes. Dinner is done. Like mm-hmm. it's not complicated. And I think, a lot of us rely on these processed foods. A, we're addicted. Mm-hmm. They are. Deli- I mean, let's not pretend like those things don't taste really right. good. <laughs> exactly. We're addicted to sugar. Mm-hmm. We're addicted to convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, we're addicted to kind of the the comfort food mm-hmm. aspect. You know, when you're really stressed out, do you crave broccoli or do you crave? <laughs> I don't know, yes. potato chips. You know, right. there's a reason those are called comfort foods. But if if you can get in the mindset of some home cooking is just as convenient as that junk. You know, you could cook a meal from scratch at home in less time than it takes the delivery to come to your door. Mm -hmm. It's just people have gotten so far away from that, I think. I think that's why we rely so much on this processed junk, but a lot of it is that um, it is convenient. Mm -hmm. People don't think they can put a meal together in 10 minutes, it's easier to just open the box and start eating, and you know, let's not forget that we have been led, or I should say misled, to believe that a lot of stuff is good for us. Not mm-hmm. not necessarily the Twinkies and the frosted flakes, right. but these little bars that are, you know, oh, it's nuts and dried fruit. Never mind the fact that it's and, and it's advertised as a protein bar, never mind the fact it's got forty grams of sugar.
0: Yeah, it's a candy bar. These things
1: are being marketed as healthy, which is a disaster.
0: Right, right. And I, I agree with you that we have largely as a society been Divested of the value of spending time cooking, and and I agree with you. I mean, I have normally pre-COVID very active house, and I'm all over the place with sports activities and trying to manage two surly teenagers. And and I call it a dump meal. I mean, I do a lot of like slow cooker meals where I take a chicken or I take. A piece of protein, throw it in there with you know onions and peppers that I have bought pre-cut because I always say it's time or money. I'll buy pre-cut vegetables. I have no problems. There's no shame in that. Mm-hmm. Throw everything together, and I'm like whatever herbs we're trying to get rid of. Throw it all together, and the house smells all aromatic by the end of the day. And I'm like I've cooked a meal, but uh, yeah, I'm all about keeping things as simple and realistic as possible. And and yeah. for anyone that's listening, if you popped into my house and I've done a couple of videos just showing people what's in my pantry. I have chips. I mean, like my, we have Siete chips. I mean, we we try to find the healthiest version of what I know my my son's kids or buddies are eating because when they would go over their houses, they're like, oh, they have this and this and this. And so I was like, okay, I need to troubleshoot and find options so that they're not, you know, binging on food when they go out because they just don't get any of it at home.
1: And, you know, let's also remember, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. It's not like, I like we define ourselves. Well, I'm keto. Therefore I can never, ever have a carrot. Like, oh, God forbid <laughs> you should eat a carrot right. and post it on Twitter. Then the, the zealots mm-hmm. just come out with their claws they at do. you. Um, it's, I, I'm assuming these, these boys are probably active, Very active, probably, probably already lean and healthy. They don't need a ketogenic diet. No if the baseline of their diet is very healthy, they have the room Mm -hmm. for some chips now and then or some ice cream now and then. Most people do, we just get so afraid to do that. And I'm not like necessarily encouraging every, like if you are living with morbid obesity and type two diabetes and PCOS, please do not go binge on kids right now. (laughs) But you know, if you, there really is room now and then, for the occasional thing. But you have to know yourself, if you're gonna go out to the Mexican restaurant once once every eight weeks and have the rice and beans and tortillas, if you're the type of person that can get right back to normal the next day, great. If you know that that meal is gonna lead to a three week avalanche of stuff, don't do it.
0: I don't know about you, but I like to enjoy a nice wine glass after a long day. But the problem is that so many of the wines have harmful chemicals like pesticides or they have way too much sugar, which would damage your health in the long run. After doing some researching, I discovered Dry Farm Wine, the only health focused natural wine club in the world. Their wine is all natural and additive free, lab tested for purity, sugar free and low alcohol. So you can enjoy the taste of good wines without the massive chemical or sugar intake. By joining the Dry Farm Wine Club, you can choose how often you'd like to receive the wines. You can choose monthly or every other month and how many you'd like to receive. And as a special gift, if you sign up with our link, you can get a bonus bottle of pure natural wine with your first order for just one extra penny. Visit the link in the description to claim your bonus bottle of natural wine and join the Dry Farm Wine Club. Right. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting. I think it was Petey Magnan last night posted a study that was talking about how long omega-6 oils last in your body, which was like two years. And so I thought to myself, well, this may explain why when I go to a Mexican restaurant and I'm all about moderation, not deprivation, I'm out to eat, I'm out to enjoy myself, I'm not going to worry. If I sit there, I can't just eat one chip. It's like the one chip becomes a hundred chips, becomes two hundred chips, means I go home and I feel sick. Uh, and, and so just recognizing that some of the things we're exposed to when we go out to eat, it's just that moderation, not deprivation. Because food is meant to be savored and enjoyed. That was certainly something that was stressed in my my home uh, You know, growing up. Italians are all about having like copious amounts of food accessible. That's how they show their love. Mm-hmm. And trying to you know, explain to my kids when they go to visit their grandmother, that grandma's going to have five times as much food as we need. We just have to know we're going to go home with leftovers, and she will not be happy if we don't go home with leftovers, because that's how they show their love. Uh-huh. So explain to me how you kind of evolved into where you are today. I mean, I know you mentioned you grew up in a Jewish, traditional Jewish household and you you were a service person, um, you're, you're, you're a veteran. So how did you get from point A to point B. I always find the journey really interesting. And generally we'll dive into that at the very beginning, but I just wanted to jump in and talk about keto. Cause that's, you know, that's foremost in my brain right now. Yeah.
1: I got, I got from A to B by way of Z and X and G and H and P. Like <laughs> it was definitely a very circuitous route. And just to clarify, like I, my family were culturally Jewish, but thank goodness we didn't keep kosher because heaven forbid, I would not be eating bacon and shrimp (laughs) and scallops and and pork. I mean, like I said, I eat pork. Thank goodness. So, um, yeah, very, very liberally, culturally Jewish, right? Not like, anyway, I, um, I got into this way of eating the way so many people Mm -hmm. do. I used to be heavier Mm -hmm. and I never was, you know, I never had morbid obesity. I wasn't quite that large, but I was definitely heavier and I was heavier, despite, you know, I know I said when I was a little kid, I, I my parents owned a candy store, mm-hmm. I was a couch potato, but as I got into my late teen years and, and early 20s, I stepped up the exercise, I ran two marathons, I specifically wow. started training for marathons because I'm like, there's no way that I could do all that running and not mm-hmm. lose weight. Well, There is a way I can do all that running and not lose weight. And I have the finish line pictures to prove it. Now I feel like I was healthy and I was Mm -hmm. fit. I wasn't thin. And so, you know, after spending years beating myself up and my self esteem just in the basement, like feeling like I'm a failure and I must just have to eat even less and, and exercise even more. Never mind that I had friends that, Never exercised at all. That ate whatever they wanted, as much as they wanted, and were tiny. It, Mm -hmm. you know, I I came across the Atkins diet. Mm -hmm. That was my entry into this. It was around 1999 or so, and that was before this whole wave of keto. Keto, it wasn't even. No one really even used the word back then. It was just Mm -hmm. low carb. And I I was like, you know, this makes sense. The way that Dr. Atkins and I Unfortunately, Robert Atkins and the Atkins diet has gotten this weird bad reputation. Mm-hmm. Never mind the fact he was an absolutely brilliant clinician. Mm-hmm. Apart from the low carb, he had a practice of complementary medicine that was just, he was a brilliant man. No. Anyway, I mean, and keto really is the Atkins diet wrapped up in a shiny new bow. That's what people mm-hmm. don't realize. But that was my entry into this. And it was so different from what I had been. I mean, I did the cabbage soup diet. I did Weight Watchers. (laughs) Like you name the crazy desperate thing. I did Mm -hmm. it. And I, I, I joke, I said, like, I'm a coffee junkie. I remember the first time that I put heavy cream in my coffee instead of skim milk. And it was so thick and rich. And I was like. Am I going to feel my arteries clogging? Am I going to have a heart attack right away? Or is it going to take a little while? And of, of course it worked, you know, the weight came off and not only did the weight come off, but I got to eat all this delicious food and I'm a carb junkie. I'm a Jewish girl from New York. I ate a bagel every single morning of my life for probably all of high school, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's, and, and cereal, I lived on cereal in college, but I didn't miss that stuff because I felt so good. And I think I was young enough when I found low carb that I didn't have any health problems that Mm -hmm. I knew of. I was just carrying extra weight. I have a family history of obesity, type two diabetes, cancer, and stroke. So I have no doubt that if I didn't find low carb when I did, I'd be on that trajectory. Now I'd probably have obesity now. I'd probably have diabetes, maybe PCOS. But anyway, long story short, After I, you know, lost the weight with low carb and just loved the food I got to eat, loved what it was doing for me, I I had been in and out of jobs that I was not satisfied by, didn't find fulfilling. And I said, hey, wait a minute, like nutritionist is a career. Maybe I I could do that and I could help other people learn about low carb. So I went back to school to um, to study nutrition formally. And, you know, now I help clients and I write, but it's, I, I always say to people that, after all the years of learning about carbohydrate restriction and what this can do for you physiologically, metabolically, weight loss is like the least impressive thing that this way of eating can do for you now. It's like you can basically reverse, I, I don't know what word you prefer, reverse remission, like type 2 diabetes, PCOS, gout, hypertension, like migraines, acne, psoriasis, all of these things either completely go away or get much, much better with carbohydrate restriction. Oh, and by the way, you you might also lose a few pounds along the way. <laughs> so um that's that's how I got to be where I am. But I I'm trying to like spread this niche that I'm doing of, of like you said, my motto is keto without the crazy. Cause when I was new and I found the Atkins book, there was one forum, one. On the internet for low carb, it still exists, but it's like a fraction of its former mm-hmm. self. Facebook did not exist at this time. Reddit, Twitter, Instagram didn't even exist. So there was a lot less information about how to do this, but there was a lot less misinformation and a lot less of all this crazy confusion that you and I see out there. So I feel lucky to have started this one. I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know?
0: Ignites Metabolism slash Cynthia. That's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com slash Cynthia and use promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off of any order. Again, that's promo code Cynthia10 for 10% off any order. Well, it probably also gives you an incredible perspective because you've watched it evolve. You know, you were at the Atkins phase and as you so appropriately mentioned, you know, Ketogenic diets are really the Atkins diet as it's evolved, but you've been able to watch all this change. And, and I think it's also the influence of social media, as we were talking about earlier, you know, people, many of whom it's an N of one. They've had an incredible experience and then they really want to share that knowledge and their journey, which I, I always I always feel like everyone's story is so relevant and interesting, but not necessarily applicable to everyone else. Meaning, you know, someone that's well meaning, maybe spreading information that's really just worked for them, doesn't mean it's necessarily going to work for everyone.
1: Yeah, that's it's such a good point, because I do think from like for most people, the basic garden variety, low carb keto works. And then you might have some weird, rare genetic thing Mm -hmm. or some circumstance that you need this other change. And in those cases, I think it's um, the end of ones can be invaluable because maybe someone else out there has that rare thing that Mm -hmm. you have, and they're the only person that's talking about it. Um, So I think it's important it's important to seek out people that are kind of in your situation Mm -hmm. or were in your situation and fixed it. Right. You know, if you are a postmenopausal woman who's got low thyroid and and your hormones are wacky and you're Mm -hmm. struggling, you've got a lot of extra weight. What the 28 year old guy that does CrossFit nine times a week and who's never had an extra ounce of fat on his body a day in his life, what he's saying he might not be providing wrong information Mm -hmm. it's just not appropriate for you it might be appropriate for some other person out there watching him so you really um and then there's a whole other issue of and and you probably see this a Mm -hmm. lot too i get a lot of people writing to me looking to i hate the word optimize they want to optimize (laughs) they want to When they're all, they're already doing perfectly Mm -hmm. well and they don't, they don't have any way to lose. Mm -hmm. Women always want to lose more weight. There's a whole chapter in my stall slayer book about setting realistic expectations. Are you trying to lose weight when you're actually already totally Mm -hmm. great the way you are? Mm -hmm. Or maybe, maybe it's not with weight. Maybe it's energy levels or something. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're already perfectly good where you are and, and you don't need to be going anywhere else. You know, I I see a lot of that, like these biohackers, which I hate that word. Oh,
0: I was about to say that. Honest to God, it was like you yes, you took the words right out. I hate
1: that word and not to like (laughs) not any disrespect to people that enjoy tracking their heart rate and their sleep and the steps and the this and the that. Like if you like that, do it. But it it can get to a point where that's actually taking away from your mental and emotional health. Rather than making you healthier, it's actually going in the opposite direction.
0: Well, it's ironic that you said biohacking because, and again, I, I feel the same way you do that. Um, there's a lot of merit in and in pe- there are people, there there are probably lots of IT engineer mindset people that like data. Yeah. Like my patients, I would send them and say, are you an engineer? And they're like, how did you know? And I said, cause you bring in this beautiful spreadsheet everything. I mean, that's all this quantitative data. Uh I'm like, you must be an engineer or an IT person, but I think there are people that really feel safe with that information. And and that's great. But that, that word optimize it, it makes me chuckle because I've heard that quite a bit recently. And, and I think it's really an important point to say that, you know, what all these things come down to is that the benefits to our bodies, when we're being mindful, the amount of carbohydrates we consume, or if we're doing a ketogenic diet, it shouldn't. We always. Well, I would say ninety percent of people come to me and they're like, "It's a weight loss focus," but I'm like, "We need to think about all the other benefits." I think that's a really important kind of take home message for everyone to be cognizant of. But I do want to touch on one thing. So one of the other bugaboos in my mature women, you know, north of thirty five and forty, is is thyroid function. And oh. so I've come to believe. That as women get closer to perimenopause and menopause, it is like this normal kind of, I would say it's like a three-legged stool that, you know, if one piece of the endocrine system is not working quite as efficiently, it can weaken the rest of it. And so I feel like most, if not all of the women i see—and it could just be my niche, uh, have got either subclinical or are hypothyroid. And, you know, whether it's, they feel that their healthcare provider is receptive to listening to the fact they can't sleep and their hair is falling out and their skin is dry and they're constipated. But for you, when you're, when you're working in this niche, I'm sure you probably see quite a bit of women that that's a huge pain point that they've got, thi- you know, their thyroid is trash because they're over restricting, you know, they're, they're not sleeping enough. They're being really restrictive with their carbohydrates. They're over exercising all in an effort to lose weight. Um, that's usually the, that's usually what I hear, but I'm, I'm curious to get your take on it because I feel like it is, it, it's like a vortex. If you fall into the vortex, you may not get back out. Yes.
1: Oh my goodness. I just want to like reach through the screen and hug you because you, <laughs> you just said so many important things and I, I'll i have to make sure that I like address all of them because it's so important. Yeah. I mean, I think we, it's like like, if, if somebody's doing well, on keto or low carb or whatever, and they're, they're happy with how things are going, we don't hear from them because they don't need help. Mm-hmm. We see a lot of these hormone cases and stuff because they're the ones that are struggling, mm-hmm. right? They're the ones that like, why isn't this working? What am I doing wrong? So yeah, I see thyroid problems all the time. And I, I'm not a doctor, I can't diagnose mm-hmm. anything. But people I, I can tell either from the paperwork and the symptoms they have, that it's either undiagnosed hypothyroidism, or they know they have a problem, they're already on medication, but they're not on the right type or the right dose. And I Mm -hmm. see this all the time. And if I if I start to get a little worked up, I'm especially passionate about it. I'm actually on thyroid medicine myself. Mm -hmm. Now, for some people, it seems to be most common with the Hashimoto's, which is the Mm -hmm. autoimmune thyroid, Mm -hmm. Not, not all thyroid problems are autoimmune. But for people with Hashimoto's, low carb paleo keto seems to actually make that much, much better.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It seems some people it's completely gone and they can ki- kind of mm-hmm. get off their medication for other people, not so much. So mm-hmm. for me, obviously it didn't, it, it's not helping. I still need the medicine, but, um, part, I, I mean, I think thyroid problems can come from any number of reasons, mm-hmm. but you mentioned some that are so underappreciated mm-hmm. and it's, it's, there's a nurse who I love that calls it famine response hypothyroidism. Mm-hmm. When you are restricting way too much, whether it's carbohydrate or total food, fat, protein, everything, mm-hmm. some women just don't eat enough, period. And you are overexercising. You are demanding way too much of your body without replenishing yeah. what it needs nutritionally. In an effort to protect you from flat out burning out and falling apart your body will slow your metabolic rate mm-hmm. to force you to slow down. That's the, the slowdown that we see sometimes in the metabolism and it's the thyroid mm-hmm. and it is fixable, but you have to exercise less, mm-hmm. you have to eat more, you might need more carbs.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so it's, it's fixable, but it's not an overnight thing. It mm-hmm. takes a long time to come out of that. hole, well, like you said, the abyss, it takes <laughs> a long time to come out of there, but I, it's, it's so difficult for some um, to find a doctor that knows how to interpret the lab work properly. And again, my, my Stall Slayer book, there's a whole chapter on, on all of this thyroid stuff. So many doctors will only run the TSH or the T4. It's like two thyroid tests mm-hmm. that, you know, in some cases that will identify the problem. But there are so many women mm-hmm. in whom those are normal. But if you dig deeper and you run some other, thyroid related tests, you'll see jumping off the charts that things are out of whack and even if they're not even when the numbers the lab ranges are a little too generous some some labs will say you're normal with something when you actually really need to be a little lower or a little higher mm-hmm. to, to be optimal to, to feel your best and i think it's so much more important to go by how you feel than to go by the numbers. The numbers can be a guide and they can maybe corroborate what you know you're already feeling in your own body. But it's, it's just, if your hormones are not where they need to be, you're going to have a really hard time losing weight no matter how disciplined you are with diet and exercise. Um, it just, you can't, you can't, it's a brick wall that you can't bash through without just dismantling the wall down. Um, and it's, I, I do see it all the time. And I, it's so difficult for me as a nutritionist, because I can make someone aware, hey, this is the problem. But then it's on them, they have to find a doctor that's mm-hmm. willing to not only interpret the blood work, maybe in an unconventional way, but help them experiment with the medication. Mm-hmm. I every six or eight months, I have to change my medicine a little but I've struck gold with my endocrinologist, he's dynamite, but it's it can be really hard to find a good endo. No, but
0: are, you, are you
1: a nurse practitioner?
0: I am. I so am. Can you, are you able to work with the medication at all or not? I can. So in Virginia, I am uh, fully autonomous, which is really oh. nice. But I have clients that are all over the place. So if I'll give you a good example. There's actually an advanced practice nurse that I work with lives in another state. And so, you know, we did labs and then I said, you need thyroid medication. And we went around about it. I was like, I I can't prescribe it because you don't live in Virginia. So let's find Mm -hmm. someone. And it took a bit of finesse for me to Mm -hmm. find someone that would be open to doing nature thyroid that was willing to think out of the Synthroid box And so uh, we we finally got her hooked up, but I mean, she was very, I mean, humbled and frustrated because she was like, I'm not even in a state where I can write my own prescription. So she was kind of stuck. Uh Um, But I agree with you. If you find a functionally trained or an open-minded endocrinologist, or, you know, just a primary care provider that's willing to think outside the the thyroid box, that can be hugely beneficial for sure. I mean,
1: the the worst thing to hear when you're struggling with some of that is that it's all your fault and you're just lazy. You need to exercise more. You must be eating too much. Like where the doctor doesn't believe you. Oh, that's just the worst situation.
0: Correct. Correct. And, and, you know, when I worked in cardiology, I had a lot of patients that we were trying to find strategies. And I used to always tell them, I was like, we don't, know why you're struggling to lose weight, but we're going to find out. And I would always say like, if I have to refer you to someone or if we need to do more testing, or if I have to get on the phone with your insurance company to do a test that they consider to be non-essential um, so yeah. that we can at least get that information. Yeah. Well, this has been so helpful. And obviously I'm definitely going to have you back, continue to pick your mm. brain a bit because you're just a wealth of information, but how can people find you?
1: Where can people find me? My main website is tuitnutrition.com. It's T-U-I-T nutrition.com. And um, my, the ebook we've been talking about is at stallslayer.com. And my handle on Twitter, I, I don't do, like I think we mentioned Facebook, I don't do a lot, but my handle on Twitter is tuitnutrition. I have a YouTube channel by the same name, Tuit nutrition. And um, I'm co-writing a book actually with Dr. Westman that um, just put little teasers out. It should be coming out in November, but that's not set in stone. And that's actually about finding your own carbohydrate tolerance level and how to build your diet around that. He's kind of like branching out from keto, which is a change of pace for him, so.
0: That's amazing. Well, I'll yeah. look forward to checking that out for sure. Cause I know that will be relevant to my own patient population. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been such a pleasure to connect. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes. Just as you carefully choose the cut of meat or freshness of produce that you cook at home, you should carefully choose chemical-free cookware that provides a healthy and safe cooking experience. The materials in 360 cookware are safe, sustainable, and of the highest quality. Their cookware is 100% free from any toxic chemicals as the company produces quality stainless steel cookware and bakeware without added chemicals and all are manufactured in the United States. It's also the leading manufacturer that equips kitchens with cookware and bakeware that are free of all of the toxic chemicals and coatings, including PFAS, Teflon, and ceramic.